0: Good to have you guys here today. Um, if you got a Bible, Genesis uh, 25 is where we're going to start. Um, then we're going to go to Genesis 28. Um, we maybe might be in Genesis 28, Genesis 29 uh, for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to see how um, this week kind of goes and um, I've got some ideas of, of some things. We're in week number four of this anchor series and um, there's a couple topics and a couple things that we can, um, that we can pull out um, of the text that we're going to look at today. Um, but we've been talking about anchors. We've been talking about what holds us down, what keeps us back, and what puts us, what what keeps us grounded. Kind of both sides of things um, in our relationship with Jesus. In the past three weeks, we've talked about being anchored in compassion. We said we need to do that because it's better than condemnation. And the church speaks a language of condemnation. Um, so often, and that turns people off, and people don't want to be a part of church, and people don't want to, it's not that they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, it's just it's just the people of God, um, because we're, we're mean, and, and judgy, and people don't want to be around that. Um, we said in week number two that we had to be anchored to forgiveness, uh, being anchored in unforgiveness leads to bitterness and anger, uh, and then last week we talked about prayer. Um, this week, this week I want to start out by asking you a question, and everyone has to participate. Um, have you ever ran from something? Now let, let's start out easy, all right? Let's not go all spiritual and everything. Let's just kind of start like, 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 like. Has there ever been something or someone like you were scared and, and you literally ran? Um, I have a couple. I have a couple stories that, that, that I'll share with you. Um, one of my first memories as a kid. It's an incredibly vivid memory. Um, <laughs> it is it is <laughs> I was terrified of the kool-aid man seriously like the commercials when i was a kid they would yeah they, the commercial would come on and they'd be like hey kool-aid and the kool-aid man would bust through the wall and he would come and, and i was terrified as a three four fifteen year old kid um <laughs> that kool-aid was going to come through the like bust through the wall And eat me, or or drink me, or what, I don't know what Kool-Aid guy does, but I was afraid that he was going to get so terrified of that. Like, absolutely terrified. Another one of my early memories is running from my dad. How many of you have ever ran from your dad? Anybody ever done that? Um, Now, I don't remember all of the conditions of this particular story. I just remember it had something to do with a hammer. And his new truck, and me thinking I was helping him fix the truck, like, the, like the, at least that's the story that's been told to me, I kind of blacked out. Um, but I learned something running um, at a four, or as a four or five year old, um, and, and this is true, runners aren't typically looking for a safe place, they're looking for an open space. L- like if it's safe, it just happens to be a bonus, right? Now, now some people might push back and go, oh no, 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 Ryan, runners are looking for a safe place. But think about this, think about it. Just kind of humor me for a second. Anytime you see a movie and people are standing around and a bomb blows up, people don't run to safe spaces, right? They're trying to get away from something. Yes or no? Yes. And when you're running away from something, you don't really care if it's safe. You just care that if it's open. And once you get there, you'll figure out whether it's safe or not, right? And so that's what happened to me. I'm running from my dad and I run around the corner and I see my mom and I just jump into her arms and she takes me and she <laughs> kind of protects me like she always did from him. And so it was really cool. But, but I learned as a four or five year old kid that when you're running, seriously, when you're running, you're not necessarily looking for safe, but you're looking for open. If you can find safe and open, that, that, that's great. So with that in mind, let me ask you this question. Have you ever ran from God? Have you ever ran from God, or are you currently running from God? Because this is what I know about people who are running from God. We're not necessarily looking for safe spaces, we're looking for open spaces. That's why when, when people, when, when we, and I'll say all of us, when, when we run from God, we tend to run into destructive things, because destructive things, things that are destructive, they don't discriminate, do they? Things that are destructive, they welcome us right in. And one of the reasons that runners typically will never run into a church is because churches to runners are neither safe nor open. And so, what would it look like for a church to legitimately be an open and safe place where runners are welcome? I think that really needs to be a focus of Central Church. We need to be a church where runners are absolutely welcome where it really is okay to not be okay it's not okay to stay that way i get all of that but it's okay to not be okay where it's an open safe place where you don't have to believe what we believe to belong to who we are and a place where runners no matter who they are where they've been no matter where they currently are no matter what they've done no matter what's been done to them or when it happened are welcome and the reason I say all of that is because I really do think we need to be a place that shows the grace of God. As a matter of fact, today we're going to talk about being anchored in grace. And so Genesis 25, there's a dude in the Bible, his name is Abraham. And Abraham had a son with a girl named Sarah. Sarah was like 90 years old. That's old to be having a baby, yes or no? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great reminder to all of us that it's never too late for God to use you. Right, she's 90 years old and had a baby. It's never too late for God to use you. They had a son named Isaac, and that's where we're gonna pick up the story. Genesis 25, um, verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. So again, they couldn't have a baby. And, and they couldn't have a baby, and that bothered Isaac. And that bothered Rebecca. And I'm sure for years, they're like back and forth because they can't have a baby. And she really wanted a a baby. And he wanted a son. He wanted someone to carry on the name. And, and, And I'm sure that there was so much tension and so much going on in this relationship. And so for all of these years, nothing. And so Isaac goes to the Lord in prayer. And it says, the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Now, we gotta talk about that because last week we talked about prayer And um, and I need to point something out here. This isn't really the point of the message, but it's in the text that we're using, so i got to point it out. Isaac didn't just pray for Rebecca to get pregnant. He participated in the prayer he was praying. Are you following? Like, I'm not going to draw a picture for you or anything. We're not going to flannel graph this out for you or anything like that. He didn't pray and then pop, she's pregnant. He prayed but he also participated, which is a good reminder that sometimes when we're praying, we've got to be willing to participate in the prayers we're praying. And so if we're praying, God, give me compassion. God, help me to be anchored in compassion. And God, puts somebody in our path, in our life that needs compassion, that's an answer to the prayer that we prayed. When we're praying, hey God, help me to forgive, help me be a forgiving person, help me to be anchored in forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit like keeps bringing up in our mind, hey remember you said you would forgive that. yeah but they're an idiot, but you said you would forgive them, like, like that's God answering our prayer, you have to participate. Like, like so many times, like we, we want to ask God for something and we want to go, but we don't want to participate, like that, this is me, like 100%. This is me. Like, that's what I do. Like, I'm always praying, God, please help me get into shape. (laughs) I don't go to the gym. (laughs) I don't eat right. And so that's on me, right? So so if we're going to pray for something, you've got to be willing to participate in the prayer that you're praying. And that's not even the point of this message, but I needed to say it because we talked about it last week. All right, verse 22. The babies jostled each other. Hold on. The babies the babies I don't think Isaac was praying for babies right I think he was praying for a baby guys this is just guys cuz girls I don't, I don't know what you what you do or whatever but any dude in here ever prayed for babies no right you're like you may pray for the baby like hey lord help us nobody's praying for babies which is a really good reminder that God's plans are always bigger than our plans. God always wants more for us than we want for us, always. The Bible says the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? Which which if you're a woman and you have a baby, you know the Bible's true because you've asked that question when a baby is inside of you, right? Why is this happening to me? There's a human inside of me using my kidneys as a trampoline. Why is this happening? And if you're married to a woman who's pregnant, you've asked that question too. Why is this happening to me? Why am I in the store in the middle of the night buying weird food? Why are you making me do this? And she told you, because you did this to me, right? Like that's, like, anyway, another message for another time. I'm just saying hypothetically, my wife's not in here right now, right? All right, just saying. The babies jostled within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So they went to inquire of the Lord. Lord, look at this. This is huge. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, which I'm guessing if you're pregnant, you don't want nations inside of you. You want like tiny little babies inside of you, right? You don't want nations. But he said, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will serve the other. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, uh, there were twin boys in her womb. Now look at this, verse 25. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So baby Chewbacca's being born right here. I guess that's what's happening. So they named him Esau, which can be translated hairy or red. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. This this is like a weird delivery. This right? is messed up. So he was named Jacob. Now, Jacob is best translated deceiver. Like, like how could you like that? Like, can you imagine? Ha, my name's Jacob. This is my son, Harry Red. this is my son, Deceiver. Like, like these boys obviously are going to grow up with some problems, and, and they do. We'll see that. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Now, I just want to point out the fact that Esau was born first. And in this culture, if you were born first, you were born with a birthright and, and, a, and a blessing. The birthright and the blessing were yours. But Jacob was grasping Esau's heel, which is a reminder to us that Jacob wanted what Esau had. It's also a reminder to all of us that every single person, no exception, we are all born sinful, separated from God. In other words, all of us, every single one of us, are born with a tendency to run from God. We're natural born sinners, we're natural born runners, that's who we are. Like we're, we're, we are born sinful. Let me prove it to you. I love this illustration. How many of you are parents? How many of you in the room are parents? Anybody had to teach your kid how to sin? No, they're born sinful little boogers, aren't they? Don't believe me, how many of you have ever seen this? How many of you have ever seen a, a one kid by another kid? How many of you have seen it? How many of you seen a kid by another kid? Who taught them that? Who? Our mom and dad at home, I can't believe you cooked that for dinner. (laughs) Like biting on each other? Like where do they learn that? No, they're born knowing how to harm another kid if they don't get their way. Like we don't teach them that. We are all born sinful. And all of us are born with an innate desire to run from God. Every one of us. And that's what happens in this story. The next couple of chapters get absolutely crazy because we see later on, Jacob becomes what his father named him. His father named him deceiver. He becomes a deceiver. He cheats Esau out of his birthright and out of his blessing. It gets absolutely crazy. Now, now we don't really have a modern day equivalent of this, of, of cheating somebody out of their birthright and their inheritance. Like we don't, we don't really have it. So, so l- let's let me kind of paint a picture of what this looks like for you. Let's play pretend for a minute. I know you love when we play pretend, so let's do that. Let's let's pretend that you you've worked really hard and. Uh, some of you don't have to pretend. Some of you work hard. I get that. Um, let's imagine that you've worked really hard, and, um, and you've saved like $100,000. So you've got like $100,000 in a saving account, and you're going to use it to go on a nice vacation or buy your dream car or buy something nice for Pastor Ryan or like you're, you're, whatever, right? You're gonna use, you've got $100,000, and you're just going to spend it on whatever, man. You're just going to take care of you, and you get ready to do it. And you get ready to spend it, and you, you go to the bank to withdraw your $100,000, and the banker tells you, you only have $5,000 in the bank. Like somebody stole $95,000 from you. How many of you would at least consider killing that person? Well, there's like four honest people in here right now. All right, the rest of you, uh, <laughs> what's your bank account number? I, like cause <laughs> they won't hurt us. Like all of us. All of us would want to cause some sort of physical harm. I know I would. Well, that's what Jacob did to Esau. He stole his birthright. He stole his blessing. And Esau said, I'm going to kill him. I'm I'm going to straight up kill him. Now, I'm going to wait until dad dies because I don't want dad to know what I'm going to do to him. But I'm going to kill him. And Jacob finds out about it. And Jacob does what every one of us do when we perceive to be in danger. He ran. If we go over to Genesis 28. And this is where we're going to start being in this section the next couple of weeks. The Bible says this in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and headed for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, and he lay down to sleep. Now, I want to say this real quick because it's in the text. Runners don't stop running because somebody yells at them for long enough. You know what I'm saying? Runners don't stop running because God has somebody spit. Like hate and condemnation towards them. Runners stop running when they get tired, period. Seriously, that, that's when runners stop running, right? Like Jacob didn't pass a camel, and on the back of camel was a bumper sticker that said, get right or get left, turn or burn, get saved or microwaved, and he thought, oh, that's a good idea. I probably ought to stop running from God now. That, that wasn't going on. Jacob stopped running when Jacob got tired. I just started running, Jenna. and when I got tired, I stopped. Right? This is Forrest Gump in the Bible, right? It just—it is. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Here's the point: if you know somebody that's running from God, the best prayer that you can pray for them is God let them get tired of running. God let them get tired of running. Because us shouting at them and us pointing a finger at them doesn't make them want to stop running. It actually makes them want to run harder. So, so Jacob, he stops because he's tired. He's so tired that he takes a rock and he uses that for a pillow. Like, I was pretty tired, right? Look at this, verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now look at this, verse 13. There above it stood the Lord. Now anytime you see this in the scriptures, anytime we see God in the flesh, it's always Jesus. It's always Jesus. I don't know, I'm not even arguing this with you. It's always Jesus, all right? So Jacob is seeing Jesus, and there's a stairway reaching up to heaven. Now let me say this before we move on. The stairway wasn't so that Jacob could climb up. The stairway was so that Jesus could come down. The stairway in this text, listen, don't miss this. Religion says climb up. Jesus says, uh-uh, I'm going to come down. Like That's the metaphor that's being used here, and it's so incredibly powerful. And so there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Now look at this. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants, listen, don't miss this. Dude's not even married yet. Like, he's a single guy running from God. He gets tired, grabs a rock, puts it under his head, falls asleep, and all of a sudden God shows up and starts telling him how he's going to bless him. Your descendants will be like dust of the earth. (laughs) That's a lot of kids. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Verse 15, look. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I will will never leave you. That's what God says to all of us all the time. I will never leave you. I am always with you. I care about you. I love you. Look at this. When Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. That's my prayer for our church. It really is. My prayer is that people that people are going to run in and they're gonna have an encounter with Jesus and they didn't even know Jesus was here. They just found this place to be open and they found this place when they came in and they got in their open space, they found it to be a safe place. That's my prayer for us right now. Because look at this, he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. Don't forget that, that's huge, we're gonna talk about that. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Don't forget that. It's important. So he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. Like, that's all he asked for. Like, God to be with him, watch over him, give him food to eat and clothes to wear. Like, that's it. I will return safe, so that I will return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a tenth. And so, what's going on in this text? What's what's happening? Why are we looking at this? Why are we talking about this? Well, there are there are a bunch of points in this, and there are a bunch of different things that we could talk about. Um, today I want to pull out three things in this text, three things that happened to Jacob, um, that that I really have a heart and desire to see happen at Central as we anchor into grace. All right, so follow along with me on this. Number one, when we're anchored into grace, when we anchor into grace, people meet Jesus. Like Jesus met Jacob. Where did Jesus meet Jacob? In the house of God. Like Jacob was running, right? We established that. Jacob was running, and don't miss this. He wasn't looking for Jesus. Jacob wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for Jacob, not to get him back for what he had done to his brother Esau, but to bring him back into a relationship with God. Jacob's running. Jacob wasn't paying attention to where he was running to. Ran right into the house of God, and in the house of God, that's where he met Jesus. That's grace. Once again, I I can't say this enough. That's what I want for our church, a place where runners are absolutely welcome. Because I think everyone in this room, every one of us would all agree that many times the biggest barrier to people meeting God are the people of God, right? We we said that in week one. We talked about compassion being greater than condemnation. And, And we said the biggest barrier, the biggest reason that people don't want to come to church, the biggest reason people don't want to be with God is because of the people of God. In fact, some of you—that's your story. Like th- that—that's your story. Like like you, you you we all. You've got a bad story, church story. I've got a bad church story. We all have bad church stories. I could tell you a ton of them. Um, I heard a pastor tell a story one time. Um, this is a friend of mine, and he was he had been visiting a church, um, and there was a woman that sat behind him, and and the message got done, and he's like, man, the message was great. The message was powerful. There's this this lady behind me, man, and she was bawling, like, like not weeping, just bawling. And she was like, in like so much pain, like she couldn't even like walk forward. And so they they went and they got this pastor and they brought her back to him. And this guy, like my friend, he's sitting right in front in in front of her, and he hears this whole thing play out. This guy comes back and he asks her, like, hey, you know what's going on? How can we help you? and she's like, I need Jesus, oh, you just talked about Jesus, I need to accept Jesus into my life, and let me tell you, as a pastor, somebody says that, you're like, sweet, things are working, right, like, doors open, pff, we're gonna go, and and that guy was like, he was right there, he's like, man, that is awesome, and, and she went on to say, she's like, I just went through a divorce, and it's the most painful thing that's ever happened to me in my life, and my husband left me, And and, and this guy, this pastor, took a step back, he said, ma'am, if you've just gone through a divorce, I can't lead you to Jesus. And she got up and she walked out of the church, as would every one of us, as should every single one of us. All of us have those stories. I have those stories where I've personally seen that kind of stuff. And, and listen, those kind of stories, those, those things, they do two things to me simultaneously. They make me mad. <laughs> they idly take me off. And they break my heart. Like, because that woman like seemingly didn't have her stuff together, because of that, like somebody would lead her to Jesus, that's not grace. That's condemnation. And that's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place to be. So, Jacob, when he ran into the house of God, let me ask you this question. When he ran into the house of God, he was still running, right? He runs into the house of God. What if God, what if God would have waited on Jacob to get everything together? What would that have been like? Jacob, you got to go home. Yeah. You, 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 you can't be here. You can't you, you, you can't be in here until you give the money back. You can't be in here until you say you're sorry. You, you can't be in here until you started reading your Bible. You can't be in here until you started praying and fasting and journaling and all of this stuff. Jacob never would have met Jesus. See, grace is not, hey, get your stuff together, and when you're good enough, you can come in here and hang out with us. Grace is God is good enough god is good enough therefore when he comes into our lives he helps us over time to get our stuff together jesus met jacob in the house of god and and that is actually the biggest thing i care about when it comes to our church see in our church we need to care about two types of people people that are far from god and people who care about people who are far from god those are the two types of people that will always love our church because in that environment in a place anchored in grace, people meet Jesus. They do. Jesus met Jacob. Number two, when we're anchored in grace, we experience life change. When we're anchored in grace, we experience life change. Jesus changed Jacob, changed him. Jesus changed his life, changed him. Now, all of us have probably met somebody at some point in our life who has had like a positive change. Like our life has had a positive change because of it, right? All of us probably have that person. We can think about that person. Uh, For example, for me, um, I love steak. Love it. Love steak. Now, I used to think that I knew what a good steak was. Like I thought I knew about the different cuts, how to cook it to a perfect medium rare, which is the only way that you should cook steak, right? If you cook steak past medium rare, like if you cook steak well done, like Well, I'm just, I'm I'm not going to say you're not a fan of Jesus, but you know how I really feel. And so anyway, so I thought, like, I mean, I thought I knew, like, I thought I had mastered steakery until two years ago. Yeah, steakery. Is that a word? Is that, it is now. See, two years ago, I walked into a, you know where this is going, right? I walked into a place called Arrow's Meat Market, and a man named Tom changed my life. He started showing me all these new different cuts of meat. He took time to explain to me, like how to season it and how to cook it, and he would give me samples. I'm telling you, changed. Listen, because I met a guy who offered me an opportunity, it absolutely changed me. All of us have those kind of experiences. All of us have people who have changed us. Now, when it comes to this story right here in particular, I want our church to be a place where people are changed by Jesus and not changed into religious robots. Because Let me say this, if you're looking for a church where you equate activity with maturity, this this ain't your church. It's just not. In other words, we're not gonna have 800 Bible studies seven nights a week. Um, There aren't gonna be 317,000 things you need to do and the more you do, the more we tell you you're getting closer to Jesus. This is gonna be a place where we allow Jesus to change people in his time. The the biggest thing I wanna see as a pastor is people who actually have a relationship with Jesus and those people allow Jesus to change them. Because see, here's what's crazy in this story. Up until this point, Jacob had a plan. Like he knew what he wanted to do. Nobody was gonna change him. Nobody was gonna do anything. I mean, and his plan, his plan was simple. You wanna know what his plan was? get up in the morning, keep running. That was it. Get up tomorrow, keep running. Find a rock, put my head on it tonight, get up in the morning, and keep running. But God showed up and changed him. God shows up and and says, hey, my plans for you are way different and they're way better. I want you to do something with your life that's gonna be so significant that it's gonna blow your mind. And, and, And by the way, out of Jacob, we get, like, the 12 sons that eventually lead the 12 tribes of Israel. God had a plan for Jacob that was so much bigger than what he was currently living and so much bigger than anything that he could ever possibly imagine. And that's one of the things that we're going to constantly talk about here at Central is that God's plans for our lives are always bigger than our lives. Like, that—that this that, that happened to me. I, I remember when I first got saved, when I first got saved, I owned a masonry business. And um, it was... uh. It was, it was pretty successful. Um, and I thought I was going to run this super company for the rest of my life. I thought I was going to have, like, uh, I was, we were going to, like, turn this big corporate, like, we are going to do all this stuff, man. And we were just going to, like, go all over the world and do all this stuff. And I, I thought, like, I could make all of this money, and I could give all this money to the church and travel and do missions. And, and I had all of these plans. Um, but God had a bigger plan for my life, and it was incredibly different than what I had, and um, I remember, I remember going through, and I won't bore you with the details, but I I remember getting like this, you know, this this the call from God to to preach, and I'm like, I don't want to be a preacher, man. I don't I don't want to do that. Like I'm I'm not gonna I I, I, I like no, like I'm not like this is this is me. Like I'm I'm good at this. I'm gifted and I'm talented, and and we can we can man we can rule the the masonry kingdom. Like I mean, it was it was crazy, and um. And God's like, no, you're going to preach, you're going to preach, you're going to preach. And, and I was talking to a guy one time, and, and he said this to me. He said, if God has called you to be a priest or pastor, like, because I don't want to be a priest. Like, nobody would want to do that. Um, right. But it, so he said, if God has called you to be a priest, don't stoop to be a king. And, and I didn't understand what that meant until I re- until I started stepping into it and I started operating in the true giftings and talents that God had given to me. And um, I'm telling you, man, God's plans for our lives are bigger than anything that we could ever possibly imagine. God's got a bigger plan for your life than you have for your life because God always has bigger plans for us than we have for us. And here's the thing that we've got to remember, and and this is one of the things that I'm going to say over and over and over and over and over again. As you step into God's plans, like it's not immediate. It's not immediately going to happen for you. It's not because Jesus changes people in his time. One of the things that I, I used to have, like little confession here. All right, this is uh, Pastor Ryan's therapy time. Um, I've been incredibly convicted of this lately, um, and and I'm sure that y- you've probably heard people say things like this, and and um, maybe you've said things like this, but um, but I, but I, I I've had in the past um, had thoughts um, that when it comes to church, I, I, I've had thoughts like I can't believe that so and so is coming to church every week and not changing. You ever you ever had a thought? You you ever thought that? Or I'm tired of so-and-so showing up at church every single week and not changing. Well, a couple of problems with that. Um, Number one, it's an incredibly judgmental statement, packed full of condemnation, right? Because we we talked about this in week one. Instead of looking at the Bible as a mirror and seeing how we should change, um, we look at it as a window, and we're looking out of it. And, and we're judging other people and we're looking at their lives and, and seeing how they're living and we're condemning them because of it. And, and the number two problem is you never know what Jesus is doing in somebody's heart. Like, you never know. The, the biggest change that happens is not the external change, it's the internal change. And Jesus changes people in his time. As I read through the scriptures, this, this, is, what, this is what keeps hitting me over and over and over again the, the, the past couple of months. People who are not welcome in the temple. And when I say we're not welcome, the lame, the blind, the lepers, the tax collectors, the sinners, people who are not welcome in the temple, were always welcome with Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, I'm tired of those people showing up every week and not changing. He just changed them. He just did something in the, that the temple could never do. He changed them. He did something the church could never do. He changed them. And I believe Jesus in his time can do something that religions can never do. Change people. It, it, it's not the church. Central Church doesn't change you. There's not a church around that can change you. And if they say that they can, man, run seriously. You can't follow us. Like you just can't. It's Jesus. It's submitting to Jesus, saying, "Jesus, here I am. Change me." And Jesus changes us. Like I I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I want our church to be a place where you can be fully known and fully loved. And and, and let me say that that statement, like that's messy. But this is even more messy. And, and this might sound a little jacked up, um, and, and you might not like it, but you've got to be on board with it if we're all going to be anchored in grace. This church has to be a place where people can fall down and get back up. It does. This has got to be a place where people can fall down, and when they fall down, we surround them and we love them and we help them back up, and we say, hey, let's go. We're going to continue on this journey together. Uh, I've, been, I've been going to um, St. Greg's since March. It's an addiction recovery center. I go there a few times a week and I preach about life change. It's, it's freaking awesome. It's, like, it's, been, it's been absolutely incredible um, for me and, and my ministry and stuff. But let me tell you what God has spoke to me there over the past couple of months. Because when I'm sitting there and I'm talking to people or I'm sitting in a room and I'm getting ready to teach or after I get done teaching and, and um, people are talking, I, I hear things like, well, this is what I've done and this is what I've struggled with and this is what I'm battling with and these are my issues. And you know what those people who say that never get? Condemnation. Ever. People are always like, oh man, that's, man, I feel you, man. We, we accept you, dude. We're going to help you through this. Whatever it takes, man, we are right here with you. And I'm telling you, a few weeks ago, God messed me up and showed me the non-church world shows more compassion in many, in many cases than the church world. Seriously. It's messed up. Now listen, I'm not gonna be the person who gives permission to sin, all right? We are always gonna be preaching against sin. If you're living a sinful lifestyle, I'm gonna tell you about it. We're gonna talk about it. And I'm gonna understand that that Jesus is gonna change people in his time, all that. But at the end of the day, when people do sin, instead of pointing a finger, we need to extend a hand. Instead of turning our back, we need to open our arms because that's what Jesus created his church to be, right? Right? let me let's get back on track number 3 oh shoot the third thing to happen is Jacob responded when Jacob entered a place of grace he responded to God's call when we're anchored in God's grace we respond to God's call Jacob met Jesus got a humongous vision for his life and what does he say anybody remember how awesome how awesome is this place Now, I I remember the first time I went to, like, I had been to NFL football games um, a bunch. We grew up outside of Canton, Ohio. We went to Cleveland Browns football games all of the time. And um, I remember the first time I went to a a Colts game in Indianapolis. It was in the the Hoosier Dome uh, is what it was called. It was an inside place, and, man, I had never seen anything like it. I had never seen that many people inside of a building. I had never heard a crowd that loud. And I remember thinking, whew. How awesome is this place? This place is amazing. A couple of summers ago, I went to Italy, and, and one of the, the main things I wanted to do when I went over there is I wanted to see the Coliseum. Like, I just couldn't wait to get to the Coliseum. And I remember standing outside of that thing with Chloe, and we're looking up at this thing, and I'm like, whoo, how awesome is this place? Like, this place is amazing. We, we've all been to places, and we've seen them, and we're like, "Oh." That is so cool. Like, how awesome is this place? Jacob, when he woke up from his dream, he's in the house of God. And what does he say? woo How awesome is this place? Not because God told him, stop running, but because God met him there and gave him a huge vision for his life. And don't miss this. He didn't say, oh, how awful is this place? How condemning is this place? He said, oh, how awesome is this place? And let me point this out, after Jacob, after he left this place, (laughs) he wasn't a poster child for godliness. Like, you can read about Jacob's life, he was jacked up, man, he lived a messed up life. But here's what grace does, grace saves us, and grace sustains us when we fall down, so that we can get back up. Grace saves us, and also sustains us, so that when we fall down, we can get back up. And so i want to close by asking you this question. Are you, right now, currently running from God? Are you? The, the only person that can answer that question about you is you. N- nobody else. Not your spouse, not your parents, not your brother, not your sister. Like, like, only you. Are you currently, in any area of your life, running from God? If so, maybe. Maybe, maybe the reason that you're hearing this message today is so that you can know that church is a safe place where runners are welcome and you can just come home you can just come home maybe the reason that you're hearing this is so that you can understand that you are running and, and God's, God's not mad at you he's not out to get you back to punish you he just wants to bring you back into a relationship with him and let you know hey today you can come home maybe you got a bad church story and you're like, I'm done with church. I'm sick of church. I don't even know why I'm here today. You know what? Again, we all have bad church stories. You know who else had church, bad church stories? Jesus. Jesus had a bunch of them. But Jesus hasn't given up on church, and neither should we. Maybe you're far from God because people told you, you need to stop. You need to stop that. You need to quit acting like that. You need to stop this. You need to stop that. And maybe you're tired of, like, just this con- condemnation that people have been yelling at you for years and years and years. And the true message that you need to understand today is that you can accept Jesus Christ into your life and be radically changed on the spot. And, and then, and then you'll have the ability to allow him to transform you in in his time because of his grace. It's called amazing grace. And when we anchor into it, amazing things happen. Let's stand and say.